1: Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. We're going to kick it off casual today because Dr. John Phillips is on the beach somewhere in North Carolina on vacation, so we just want to chill a little (laughs) bit as we groove into our discussion on stroke awareness with Dr. Arash Padidar with Minimally Invasive Surgical Solutions in San Jose, California. He was nice enough to join us on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. Too bad, though, I think we're both jealous, John, that you're sitting out there on the beach, stepping up... <laughs> What do they sip over there in, in North Carolina? Well, we, Not my in, ties? Or... Yeah, we're in Hold,
3: Holden Beach, which I've never been here before. It's just a little bit southwest of Wilmington, North Carolina. Weather's great, a little humid. We had some rain yesterday. But, uh, yeah, we're just kind of chilling at the beach, um, which is which is uh, you, you know always a good time to get out, unplug a little bit, and then recharge the battery. So we're winding things down. Heading back to good old Columbus tomorrow, but uh, having a good time and glad, uh, glad I was able to get enough internet here to, to get on audio.
2: (laughs) I'm (laughs) curious about you in terms of your experience and being on vacation, how many calls do you get from your facility uh, while with emergencies or questions about patients while you were away? Or is it just radio silence for the week that there's enough people to handle every situation?
3: I'm pretty blessed we have enough folks to handle it uh but there are calls that you get and obviously um you take them and you can never completely unplug although it has been fun to ignore my emails for a couple of days but as you would imagine you have to look at them at some point <laughs> and so it's just delaying the inevitable but our group is fantastic everybody covers for each other and uh, you know you, you get a call every once in a while from a referring physician and you can answer something and I actually had to do a a telehealth visit with one of my patients because um, we're doing some live cases for an upcoming conference. I was trying to get some things squared away for it. So, yeah, there's always a little bit of work, but uh, that's what makes life fun. Because if you don't work, then you don't get to appreciate the ability to kind of not work for a little bit. So it's the yin and the yang.
2: I know for me, because I I run that. The patient advocacy organization the way to my heart and even every time I'm on vacation I have so much anxiety about certain people that because you can never plan you know there's never the right time to take a break go on vacation turn off your phone and I end up with some anxiety with certain people do you ever have that anxiety with certain patients that you might have left just the wrong time
3: yeah well I mean I had one instance because I left on We left on a Sunday to Sunday and then on Friday I was doing some cases and there was a patient that, you know, we just had some loose ends to tie up and I had, I forgot to to close one little loop. And so, you know, I talked to her on Monday and and we got it squared away, but you're always, I mean, again, there's always something around that needs to get uh, a, a, a T crossed and an I dotted, so to speak, but it's all good. You just, you just go with the flow. But the one yeah. thing I have realized, and you would attest to this too, we're slaves to our phones. And it's, yes, I mean, are. it's not just me, but, you know, my kids, thankfully, the internet's not that great. And so they're doing stuff outside and whatnot, but... You know, at one point you can look around because it's with my whole family. So there's a lot of us here and you got people with their heads in their phones and I don't know what they're what they're doing. And I'm sure it's TikTok or Instagram, but nonetheless, we we are slaves to our phones and it's it's nice to unplug every once in a while.
2: Oh, yeah. I think we're going to have an epidemic of hunchbacks pretty soon in the next 10 years. Yeah because we're all leaning over and looking down at our phones. Oh, my goodness. Indeed. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> I don't know. I see Dr. Patadar back there. Dr. Patadar, welcome to the discussion.
4: <laughs> thank I know you, you relate for inviting, as well. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Kim. Thank you, uh, John, for inviting me to a wonderful show. Welcome. I think this is a breath of fresh air to try to bring such a, a unknown a problem to the community. Thank you.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, before we kick off the discussion on strokes, which is the perfect time during the summer, because there seems to be an increase in the number of the emergency room with people who um, might have had or and or are diagnosed with stroke. And so I think we should do a little moment of inspiration, though, before we get deep dive into that discussion. (laughs)
1: Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration.
3: Well, uh, as I said, we're vacationing in Holden Beach, which is just a little bit uh southwest of Wilmington, North Carolina. And a famous person that grew up in Wilmington is one Michael Jordan, the
2: uh Oh wow, uh,
3: the basketball player who yeah. was becomes regarded or often regarded as the best player ever. And so I was looking at some quotes of his and he's got a bunch of them but uh it it, it got me to kind of reflect we've talked a lot about the, the PAD treatment and the article in New York Times and rebuttals and this that and the other and and you know he had a he's quoted as saying some people want it to happen some people wish it would happen and others make it happen and so i think what we do here kim what you do um what we're all trying to do is make it happen for patients and Uh, Again, I think it's important to focus on that aspect of it. You've got to, you know, kind of put your money where your mouth is and and walk the walk uh, as opposed to just talking the talk. So there you go. Michael Jordan, Wilmington, North Carolina native.
2: That reminds me of a quote from Sir Richard Branson. You have to create the change that you want to see. And it's something that... With the weight of my heart and and the more than 10,000 patients we work with around the world, that is the philosophy that we have because with any vascular disease, there's so much you can do to be a partner in your care to improve your vascular health at home with exercise, smoking cessation, eating much better, taking the prescribed medications as directed. And so you do have the opportunity to create the change that you want to see.
1: Exactly. And I'm curious.
2: I'm curious, though, Dr. Patidar, is that something that is the case when it comes to strokes as well, that patients have the opportunity to create the change that they want to see?
4: Absolutely. Um, you know, we are in control of our own destiny and um So many patients that we see, unfortunately, don't know that uh, stroke, uh, they're worried about heart attacks and cancers and that they don't know how big of a problem stroke is and how easily that they can uh, decrease the risk of such a bad disease.
2: Can you talk about there are different types of strokes? And I want to clarify to everyone what the different types are.
4: Yeah, well, the first type is bad. It's just called a bad stroke. All of them are bad. So I wish it uh, on nobody. Um, So all strokes are bad. And um, basically, there's the... A dry stroke and a bleeding type of stroke, but both of them have the same type of symptoms. They basically cause um, a debilitation, and you you are unable to speak, unable to walk, unable to move your arms or legs, or comprehend or see. So these are terrible things, you know. And if you think about it, stroke, the word stroke is a biblical term. If you look in the Bible, it'll tell you that God struck him down. And that is when, and these patients basically would have a stroke and become mute. And it's been seen since uh, forever. And um, it, it is something that is actually worse than death. And I think uh, John, uh, um, Dr. Phillips, is really involved in, in all cardiologists are because uh, trying to prevent heart attacks and all kinds of arrhythmias can help prevent stroke
2: wow and in when you're talking about a stroke, can you describe what is happening? I know that there's also heat stroke, and that's a whole different discussion that we should probably touch on at some point, maybe in the next segment. But when you're talking about a stroke, there's some sort of obstruction right in your artery that is typically leading to your brain, either your vertebral in your um carotid or something that releases into the brain like a blood clot or a piece of Um, hard plaque that just breaks off?
4: Yeah, basically uh, what a stroke is lack of blood flow to an area of the brain and that area of the brain dies. So that could be, as you said, Kim, uh, where the blood clot uh, lodges into a blood vessel. Usually it it travels from the heart. 60% of the blood clots that I see that I remove are little small pieces of blood clots that I have traveled from the heart all the way up to the brain. And then we have to go in there and remove it. So that's the most common type of stroke that we see in the United States. The other, okay. type, the other type is the bleeding stroke. And that one is also a lack of blood flow to the brain, but that is when the blood vessel actually bursts. And so the blood doesn't get to the brain. It just actually leaks out into the tissue and it causes damage that way. And that usually happens from people who have high blood pressure.
2: Well, coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to learn more about the causes of strokes, how you can prevent it and what you can do in terms of treatment if you end up with one. So stay with us.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
3: Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this beautiful Saturday, and we're joined with uh, my co-hosts, Kim, and Dr. Padidar. We're talking about strokes, and we just kind of touched scratch the surface on some of the warning signs and there's an acronym that's used because you know we're all about um raising awareness and trying to educate folks so this acronym is is fast f-a-s-t and it kind of speaks to some of the warning signs dr peddar do you want to go through that with us so we can tell our audience what they should be looking for or, or or with family members and things to try to try to raise awareness prevent a stroke
4: Sure. Actually, I have a little magnet that I hand out to my family members for FAST uh, to put under refrigerators. And this is something that our uh, 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 folks in the ambulances are, are well accustomed to. And basically, FAST stands for, uh, you know, face, if you have any facial paralysis. And, you know, arm, A is for arm and S is for speech and T is for time, you know, so you wanna get there quickly. So, uh, because uh, unlike heart attack, heart attacks usually cause pain. So patients feel it and they quickly call 911. Well, stroke, unfortunately, is very painless. And a lot of patients, they uh, have these symptoms such as facial droop or inability to move their arm or can't speak. And they they just say, let me go to bed and uh, let me sleep on it and see what happens. And in the morning, more brain has died and it's too late. So we want to teach and make the world aware that if you have these symptoms, you can't move your arm, leg, you can't speak. This is not normal, and you need to call 911 right away, and you need to call them right away.
2: It's interesting that the American Heart Association reports that about 66% of the time that someone other than the patient themselves actually makes the decision to seek treatment. And so that just drives home the importance that family members friends, everyone just needs to know the warning signs and the sudden symptoms of stroke so that they can get to the treatment fast. But it's so important. A friend of mine, though, and he was playing piano, and he was recording himself on video playing piano, and suddenly his fingers just wouldn't play. So his left hand continued to play, but his right hand suddenly stopped. And that's when he realized that something was wrong. And he called a friend who ultimately was able to get him to the
3: hospital in time. And, and Dr. Pettit, do you want to kind of spend a little bit of time and no pun well, pun intended, actually going over the importance of time because treatment for some types of strokes is, is predicated on the time of the symptoms because often the medication can, you know, has a usefulness. Uh, and that's why patients sometimes, like you said, they sleep on it. But by that time, it's too late to have that treatment.
2: Yeah, because I, I, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard that nearly 120 million brain cells die every hour.
4: Yep, that's correct. So uh, this is a very important thing. Think about uh, just taking your head and putting it underwater. And that's what's happening when you're having a stroke. Or, uh, you know, we I have a cartoon that I show when I'm showing my PowerPoint slides about a paramedic who is giving CPR to a mannequin and the head is completely severed off the from the body, there is no way that you can uh, deliver oxygen to the brain. So, so all the standard things that we can do normally usually can't cut it. And so we actually have to go and dissolve that blood clot with a medication called TPA, or actually remove it. So time is absolutely of the essence. And remember the analogy of your head is underwater. And so you really have a few hours. It's amazing that the body even allows you that much time, but you only have a few hours. Think of it like a heart attack, no different. you got to get your family loved ones to a doctor right away.
2: And I would imagine that the ambulance is probably the best way to go because patients with ischemic stroke, I hear that they have a very small treatment window for the actual mechanical removal of the clot of up to anywhere between what six hours and twenty four hours
1: and That's I'm right. curious,
2: and so I'm really yeah. curious, so when you go to the hospital. Um, I, I assume that there's clear warning signs right away to, to the physician and the team that this person has had a stroke and we need to make decisions fast as to whether or not we're going to, um, you know, put a, a clot buster through an IV or whether we have to go in and actually mechanically remove it.
4: So time is of the essence. Uh, like you said, it used to be a few hours We've uh, proven that even we can extend the time to six to eight hours. And in certain situations, 24 hours, that doesn't mean that you have 24 hours to sit on it. And yeah. like you said, brain cells are dying every second and you're going to not be able to reverse that situation. So you want to get there within minutes if you can. So it is, uh, like your piano uh, analogy that you had that that's a perfect situation you, you don't want to sit with that patient uh, lying around you want to call nine one one because they know all the uh, quick tricks and they know where to take you and they know what to do to give you the best outcome absolutely possible
2: yeah, no, that's that's especially true. So, what are some of the risk factors for stroke? I imagine you mentioned high blood pressure, but who else should be well aware that they might be at risk of a stroke?
4: Well, that's a good question. And the number one risk factor, unfortunately, is age. And we don't uh, speak about that. The older you get, the higher risk you have. So, our cardiology colleagues, Dr. Phillips and him and his colleagues have done such a wonderful job of uh, saving lives and extending, you know, a patients lives so much longer. So we're living longer. And as we live longer, we see more prevalence of stroke. So by the age of 65, if you live to the age of 65, the number one cause of death switches and becomes stroke at that point and so so uh, and it's no longer heart attack and and so uh heart attack by and large is the number one killer in the world for sure but as, after 65 then it switches and um so um but there are underlying risk factors. And I tell people, it's the good old American diet and living, you know, living a good life, basically, just having a little too much of this and that is actually mm-hmm. what does it. And having, listening to what those avocado heads saying in California may be the way to save your lives, you know, and and so um, uh, I think um, just... Controlling your blood sugar, your diabetes, uh, your high blood pressure, your cholesterol, not smoking, weight control—the things that every one of us knows that we are supposed to do—and if we just follow those things, our risks of stroke dramatically decrease. And by definitely, definitely, have a annual physical, and if you're having heart problems, see your cardiologist because. One of the number one reasons they're in business is to literally decrease your stroke risk.
2: Well, coming up right here on The Heart of Innovation, we'll give you some advice on how to talk to your doctor about preventing a stroke. So stay with
3: us.
2: Life and limb could depend on it.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Let's jump right into the, continuing the discussion about strokes. And I wanted to touch on Something called a transient ischemic attack or, or known by its acronym TIA. Cause this is kind of like a, I don't know, a warning stroke or a mini stroke, I think is what is referred to in the, in the, the, by the public. And these are often not the patients that we sometimes see who have had these little TIAs come to us a little bit too late because I don't know, 15 to 20% of these, you know, True, true strokes have TIAs before them. Um, and it is a warning sign. And, and Dr. Pettit, I would just get your thoughts on how do you talk to a patient who has maybe had a TIA or what are you telling them to kind of look for in, in, with respect to symptoms?
4: Yeah, thank you, uh, John. You know, TIA is, uh, they don't uh, understand the word TIA. Usually people think about warning strokes and also people confuse this with silent strokes. So maybe we can talk about both together. You know, a silent stroke is a stroke that you've had and is basically silent. There is no symptoms. You only find out about these silent strokes when you get a CT scan or MRI for some other reason, like headaches or something, or you bump your head and you find you have a little scar in your brain from a previous stroke, but you have zero symptoms. That's a silent stroke where uh, warning stroke or um, some people call it mini stroke which is not really true um is a warning stroke is this cia is the symptom that you're having of a stroke without damaging the tissue without uh, actually causing irreversible damage so Depending on where it happens in your brain, you're going to have different symptoms. So if it happens in the area of the eye, you're going to have visual symptoms. And some patients tell us that's like the curtains are actually going down. Mm-hmm. And this usually happens with people who have carotid disease. They flip a little blood clot or plaque from the carotid artery right in their neck all the way up to their eye. And they sometimes go and see their eye doctor because they uh, have visual symptoms and sometimes people can't move their arm or leg or can't feel their arm or leg for a minute, 30 seconds, sometimes a few hours. So all of those are symptoms where they have speech difficulty. All of those, but the symptom eventually goes away. You want to take that seriously because that's a warning sign, as uh, Dr. Phillips has said, and uh, you want to get to a doctor right away. We actually, in our hospitals, will uh, admit you to the hospital for such symptoms, keep you overnight, do CT scans, MRIs, all sorts of heart tests, make sure that all the plumbing is working properly before setting you free. Because the next symptom that could be could be an irreversible stroke, so please take that seriously,
2: right. The American Heart Association reports that one in four survivors of a one stroke have another stroke, so prevention is is really key, is really key but how how often do you actually figure out exactly what what has caused the stroke in terms of Why did this person have a clot that developed? Are there times in which you really can't figure it out and you don't know, which makes it scary as to if and when another stroke might occur?
4: So that's a very good question. And this is when uh, folks in my specialty and the cardiologists all work uh, closely together to try to problem solve we first want to look on imaging to look for blood vessel blockages but the most common reason as I mentioned before is irregularities of heartbeats or heart- your rhythm in your heart and mm-hmm. that's about 60% of what I'm seeing and uh, and this is because of an aging population so we uh, work closely with our cardiologists to make sure you don't have any problems in your heart. And this has nothing to do with heart attacks. This has to do with just the rhythm in your heart. And so uh, maybe sometimes we they will put a little uh, electronic gizmo underneath your skin, right over your chest and you're discharged and you go home and it could uh, stay in there for up to two years. There are athletes who have had such things, but mm-hmm. mainly it's elderly. So um, uh, we do eventually figure it out uh, what it is. And if we can't figure it out, we will resort to additional testing. Uh, but the majority of the time, about I would say 80 to 90% of the time, we would figure it out.
3: Yeah, and I would say that with respect to the strokes that come from the rhythm disturbance, typically atrial. Uh, Fibrillation—that's a very treatable disease process, and, and and you're exactly right. As the population ages, the the risk of atrial fibrillation goes up. The problem is, and and how we treat it is anticoagulants, um, and there are very safe over-the-counter anticoagulants. There's not, I'm sorry, prescription oral anticoagulations out there, um, but oftentimes the elderly aren't getting them prescribed to them because they're deemed too high of a fall risk or, or some, uh, you know, having some trauma that could cause a, a major bleeding problem. And, and it's really important. in what we do as cardiologists to recognize patients that do have high risk for having a stroke with atrial fibrillation, and then we treat them accordingly, because there are fantastic treatment options out there. And like we alluded to earlier in the show, when you have a stroke, that's that's debilitating, it, it is devastating, not only for the patient, but for the family.
4: Another thing that I would say, Kim, uh, that there are now clinics and uh, conferences uh, uh, that before we used to treat the brain separately from the heart. Now we're realizing that obviously the brain and the heart are connected. And uh, uh, now all these specialists are working closely together to have improved outcome for patients. So uh, if you are a patient who is having heart issues, you're at higher risk of stroke. If you're having a patient who has stroke issues, you're at higher risk of heart attacks. These are well-connected. So please take these symptoms seriously. Try to uh, minimize them. Try to see your doctors as soon as you can. Um, At our Uh, area, we've started three comprehensive stroke centers, uh, but hopefully if we do all the proper things that we should be doing, we would eliminate having to go and uh, treat stroke uh, so aggressively.
2: And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to find out what it takes to create a comprehensive stroke center and what you should expect from your community hospital or facility in terms of stroke diagnostics and treatment options. So stay with us right here on the Heart of Innovation. Hi, I'm Kim McNicholas, founder and CEO of patient advocacy organization, The Way to My Heart, with this week's Medical Notepad. I want to talk about starting your journey to improve your artery health by making better food choices. I had to help my dad so I know how hard it can be to give up 78 years of old eating habits. The secret to success is making changes one step at a time. Eliminating or eating fewer of his favorite foods was a tough sell for a former Navy captain, raised on big portions of meat, bread, pasta, rice, and oh yeah, lots and lots of sugar. The blood work we got for him certainly made it easier offering proof of what those foods were doing to his body, but still there was some resistance. Trying to get him to lower his carbs and limit his meat portions was, I think, the most challenging, but we managed to do it. Here's how we did it. We started by making a list of his favorite foods and meals, then looking for ways to incorporate healthier substitutions that wouldn't compromise taste. For example, with my mom's famous lamb stew, one of his favorites, we replaced the flour used to thicken the gravy with either xanthan gum powder or arrowroot powder, decreased the amount of meat and potatoes on his plate, increased the number of carrots, and served it over zucchini noodles. Zucchini noodles are versatile. They're also the conduit for enjoying his favorite homemade fettuccine Alfredo sauce, with the recipe modified, of course. Instead of butter and heavy cream, we use raw cashews, unsweetened cashew milk, cashew cheese, and nutritional yeast, along with garlic, pepper, and sometimes fresh herbs and chalots. We actually heat all that up and then stick it in a blender until it's thick and creamy. To limit his red meat intake, dad had to make some compromises, however. If he wanted mom's lamb stew one week, then the lean bison burger had to go and we would use that another week instead of a burger the same week in which he wanted mom's lamb stew we found that a marinated portobello mushroom either grilled or roasted was delicious and satisfying on a cauliflower thin instead of a flour bun little by little my dad was not only able to make healthier choices, but they turned out to be choices that have ultimately become permanent staples in his diet. His cardiologist recently confirmed his dietary changes have helped stall progression of plaque in his arteries. To learn more about improving your artery health, go to StandAgainstAmputation.com. And for real-time support and advocacy, go to TheWayToMyHeart.org. Remember, the advice and views offered are for educational and informational purposes only. Always get explicit consent from your own healthcare team before using any information provided in this series. With this week's Medical Notepad, I'm Kim McNicholas.
1: Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org once again here's Emmy award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist dr. John Phillips
3: so as we went to break we just had touched on uh, what's called a comprehensive stroke center and that's just uh, you know certification that a facility gets to treat people uh, with who are having strokes and a lot of what we talk about here Kim is access to health care medical yes. care treatment options and And Dr. Pat, are right. I mean, it's having a stroke. You know, you can have a stroke in the middle of nowhere. You can have a stroke in San Francisco. It doesn't matter. But the person in the middle of nowhere, they're they're limited with respect to what can happen from treatment standpoint, because they are in a remote place where these smaller community hospitals just don't have experts who can who can go in and remove the clot. Um, Can you touch Talk about that a little bit and how that affects um, your your practice and then obviously we'll discuss the uh, comprehensive stroke center
4: designation that's right John uh, you know being in a remote uh, area you have uh, uh, you're further away from primary and comprehensive stroke centers who can take care of you uh, uh, properly when you're having a stroke in a timely fashion. And so the further you are, you would just have to travel. Uh, We have set spoken hub kind of processes to help minimize uh, this discrepancy. However, it's still a problem. Uh So, uh, and just for the listeners, a primary stroke center is a center where you can go in a timely fashion and they can treat your stroke with a clot busting agent called TPA, which dissolves the blood clot and it works very well. And it works for the smaller blood clots that are... Uh, 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 blocking your brain. But for the larger blood clots, uh, you need to go to a comprehensive stroke center where we would do more uh, refined procedures and we would lasso these blood clots out of your brain without cutting, uh, without surgery, just going from your leg or arm and doing that. And um, unfortunately, smaller uh, towns don't have these equipment and they need to be sent to you. But John, we now with the help of computers, we have on our iPhones, all of us applications that uh, uh, the smaller hospitals can send us information about patients. And we can triage these patients now and try to see if they would benefit from our services.
2: Oh my goodness. Can you go into a little more detail on that? Is that something that is just with your set of centers in the San Francisco Bay Area? Or is this something that is more widespread?
4: Um, you know, on my phone, I have an app uh, because I belong to several comprehensive stroke centers. And it's a, the app is called Rapid. There's another one called Viz, and I have both of them. And uh, these apps uh, are basically a way of uh, having the computer images of a patient sent to us. Immediately from a small town, such as if you're in California, from Dinumba or Tulare or or, or, or smaller right. towns, yeah, and 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 be able to send them directly to me in the middle of the night, and I can look at the image and I can speak to the emergency room doc in because I'm on call that night, and tell them yes, I can help your patients, and they can actually helicopter the patient immediately to us. And that's what we mean by this spoken hub model that we have similar to what cardiologists have done 20 years ago.
2: Is this something that community hospitals all have access to and know about? Or is this something that our patients who live in rural areas can go to their primary care provider or to the hospital administration themselves and say, hey, do you have these apps which give you access in real time to experts who may be able to help me on a grander basis um, in case I do have a stroke or I do have a major event?
4: Yes, actually, that's a very good point, Kim. Um, uh, These apps uh, have a cost uh, to them. However, um, uh, my own uh, office we have invested in these uh, apps and uh, we have gone to many of the smaller hospitals and administrators and we will offer them to them for free uh, to them because we think that this is such an important uh, piece of service uh, without which it would delay care and um, um, so if if a hospital does not have these uh, uh, rapid software, we would be happy to help uh, community hospitals with that to distribute it. And so this would decrease the time and awareness of uh, these larger strokes that could be totally prevented and uh, help with uh, decreasing the transfer time. That it would take uh, for the helicopters and the ambulances to get to a large, comprehensive, or primary stroke center that could save lives. Yeah, it's Is amazing. This something,
2: yeah, that that's incredible. So this could be given to anyone any hospital across the nation yes that's amazing we'll come up right here on the heart of innovation will we've talked about it now we're going to do it we're going to tell you how to have that conversation with your doctor about your stroke risk so stay with us
1: welcome back to the heart of innovation for more on today's topic go to the heart that's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy award winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
3: Thanks everybody for joining us. We're in our last segment, we only have a few minutes left, but I think it's important to touch on uh, really specific risk factors for having, having stroke and the conversation that the patient needs to have with their physician. It's similar to heart disease, it's similar to PAD. We're looking at uh, cholesterol management. We're looking at blood glucose uh, control. Um, but the other thing, too, I think that often forgets to happen is when we see that we as physicians see the patient, the physical exam can share a lot of information. And really, all you have to do is listen over the over the neck. And sometimes you can hear a noise called a brewery that may point you in the direction of, hey, this person has a narrowing in their Carotid artery, and and maybe we should uh, do some further testing to help reduce their their risk of stroke. Doctor Pettit, are you one that uh, advocates for aggressive physical exam, aggressive management of patients who are at risk? Um, and in in doing so, how do you tell that to your your referring
4: base of uh, primary care physicians? I totally agree, John. We definitely need to screen for patients who are at risk of stroke and heart attack. They're one and the same, slightly different age categories, but uh, uh, without monitoring and checking for this, Unfortunately, the first sign and symptom of a stroke is actually a stroke. So it's not a TIA or a mini stroke. It it is actually the big one. Uh, so you want you want to actually minimize these symptoms, and so the only way you can is to get a window into it. And the most uh, and, and since you folks, both of you or into the peripheral arterial disease. And I'm also an interventional radiologist. That is a glimpse into your plumbing. So just think of the old 100-year-old home with the hardening of the, you know, uh, all the pipes that it has. It's the same thing. The analogy is if your kitchen sink goes out, that means your toilets are gonna go out next. <laughs> so the same thing, if your legs have clogged arteries, that means you're going to have clogged arteries in your heart and in your brain. So it's the same pipe. So uh, if you have that, you want to go to your doctors, you want to be checked out for risks of stroke and to minimize it because, uh, you know, uh, most of my patients tell me they rather pass away than have a big stroke. Nobody wants to have. Exactly.
2: Are there any blood tests that, can be performed to let someone know if they're at risk. I know with my dad, there were some plaque stability tests that were considered experimental, like for example, testing the LPPLA2 for inflammation in the arteries. And there was another test for an enzyme, mmp 9 but those are experimental and you never know whether those are accurate or not. What are your thoughts in the next 10 seconds?
4: I think if you have hardening of your arteries, I think the next thing that uh, would minimize your risk would be to get image uh, of your blood vessels of your brain and look for blockages.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Padar We really appreciate it. Have a great weekend, everyone. You've been
1: listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. The heart of innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room.
3: This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network.